0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Laughlin.
1: I'm Justin Grant.
2: And I'm Maddie Cassidy.
0: And today we are doing an episode that is kind of, I guess you could call it kind of a sister episode to our very first episode of the year in which we talked about FIPS and figuring out FIPS. But this week we are talking about APES, which is Aquaculture Improvement Programs. And uh, the guest that we have to talk about APES today is Jenna Stoner, and she is the Aquaculture Program Director at Sustainable Fisheries Partnership. And it was a fantastic conversation. I know I learned a a lot, and I'm sure you will too. But before we get into that, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you're listening right now, so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it becomes available.
1: And follow us on Twitter at Pod. If you want to contact us for any reason, sponsorship, topic ideas, do you want to be a guest? Uh, fill out our online form located at globalseafood.org/slash podcast.
2: And if you like what you're listening to, then you can leave us a rating or review on whichever podcast platform you're listening on.
0: That's right. So please enjoy this conversation we had with Jenna and we will talk to you at the
1: end.
3: Welcome to the Aquademia podcast.
0: All right, so we are sitting down today with Jenna Stoner, who is the Aquaculture Program Director at Sustainable Fisheries Partnership. How's it going, Jenna? Thanks for joining us.
3: Going great, thanks. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, no, this is great. Um, we, If you remember, our, if any of our listeners remember, the very first episode of this year uh, was titled Figuring Out FIPS, Fishery Improvement Projects, with Ryan Bigelow of the Conservation Alliance for Seafood Solutions. And we thought, well, since we did an episode on FIPS, Maybe we should also do an episode on apes, which is aquaculture improvement programs. And uh, Jenna is the perfect person to talk to us about that. So, before we get into the conversation about apes, no, we're not talking about the great apes. We're actually talking about aquaculture in this episode. So, don't get confused. Although I, I that's may. the only I,
3: joke you can pull out about apes. We've used it, it really numerous is. times, but I think that's the only one that you can actually do. That's yes,
0: the only one But, but I was going to say, I'm probably going to label this episode Planet of the Apes just awesome. because I feel like. You pr- you kind of have to, you know. So uh, that's it. I promise, I'm done. I'm done. Uh, I do have three kids, so it's it's going to be a hard to fight the urge to to go down the dad joke route. But we're gonna we're gonna try to avoid it. But before we get into that, let's talk about you, Jenna. What's your story? How did you get to where you are? Who are you? Who are listeners uh, hearing from today?
3: Oh gosh, yeah, a little bit about me. Um, yeah. I don't like talking about myself, so this is always the awkward part of the conversation. Uh, my name is Jenna Stoner. As you mentioned off the top, I am the aquaculture program director for SFP, which is Sustainable Fisheries Partnership. We are an environmental nonprofit uh, who was entirely virtual before it became a global requirement to be virtual. Uh, we have about. About 65 ish folks who work for us across 12 ish countries, depending on the day. Um, and we use a markets based approach to try and improve uh, fisheries and agriculture around the world. I have been with the organization since 2016, uh, so a number of years now, uh, always working on the aquaculture side of things. That is where my passion lies in this conversation of sustainable seafood. Uh, And I've worked in this space for over 10 years now. I first got into it after I finished my undergrad at the University of Victoria in biology and ocean sciences. And I worked on a project called the Global Aquaculture Performance Index, which was the first global assessment of environmental footprint of marine finfish aquaculture uh, globally, which was a pretty interesting project. Uh, From there, uh, I went on to do a master's in marine management at Dalhousie University uh, and have been working in the space of sustainable seafood and markets conservation ever since. Um, And a little bit of a side note, but in addition to my work at SFP, I'm also a city councillor in the small town that I live in, which is Squamish, BC, uh, which is about 45 minutes north of Vancouver in
0: Canada sounds sounds like a small town
3: (laughs) we're about 23,000 people small and mighty
2: okay that's that's a lot that uh, in New Hampshire that is not considered a small town
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah. that's a which is that's a booming city in New Hampshire (laughs) I was gonna say that's a city (laughs) yeah cool so let's talk about uh, before we get into specifically apes as well though let I want to talk about uh SFP a little bit overall kind of what they do and kind of what the missions are
3: yeah totally Um, So SFP has been around for a little over 15 years now. Uh, We, as I said, are completely virtual organization, uh, have been for the entire life of our organization. Um, We have about 65 staff in about 12 countries, uh, and our mission is really to engage with global seafood supply chains to work towards rebuilding depleted fish stocks, reducing the environmental impacts of fishing and fish farming, and ensuring sustained economic opportunities for fishing communities. So we really leverage that markets-based approach, uh, working with predominantly partners in North America and Europe, uh, but increasingly so in Southeast Asia as well, um, to get them to use their market power to, to drive uh, improvement on the water.
0: Um, when we talked about FIPS, we started off by really kind of defining what that means. and I, had, I, I didn't have a very good understanding of FIPS overall, and I actually know just as much about APES as I did about FIPS. So can you kind of... Give a a broad definition about what an aquaculture improvement program is and how one can get in, how a farmer or a producer can get involved.
3: Yeah, definitely. So, aquaculture improvement projects really are an analog to what we like to call their cousins, fishery improvement projects. They're a little bit more nascent of a concept than aqua, sorry, than fishery improvement projects. Um, They have been around since about 2010, but. They haven't quite seen the, the growth and the adoption that we've seen in FIT. Um, to define what an ape is, it's really just a market-based mechanism to drive improvement in aquaculture practices. Um, so that is m- meaning that there are a group of stakeholders that come together through the supply chain that decide that they're gonna work together to support and invest in the improvements of aquaculture practices on the water. There's different mechanisms through which that can be achieved. Um, In fishery improvement projects, typically the backbone for improvement projects is MSC, whether that fishery is trying to get certified or not. In aquaculture, it's a little bit different. We haven't seen that same adoption to what we like to internally in the seafood movement, sometimes refer to as like the North Star um, of like what that end goal is. Um, It's really more focused on the process and being public and transparent about the improvement that you're making over time. Um, So those are kind of the key components to Improvement Project as we see them, is that they're time-bound, they're clear in defining their objective, and they report uh, regularly on their progress to achieving that end goal.
0: So one of the questions that I had with FIPS is, is this like an official program, right? Like, is this something that you, like, apply for? And and the answer was no, really. It's not really, like, uh, something that you would, like, sign up for and get help, you know, for... You know, to achieve something specific, uh, it was more we want to do things better, and here's a bunch of resources that we can use. And there's obviously a lot more that goes into it. Go back, listen to the FIPS episode if you want to learn more about that. But same question with APES Is this like, is there an actual program? Like when we talk about certification programs for aquaculture, we are usually talking about uh, obviously the first one that comes to mind for us is BAP, ASC, you know, a lot of these other certification programs with eco labels and stuff. Is APES like an actual specific program that can that one can like apply for and utilize, or is it similar to FIPS in that it's really just like kind of guidelines to help you improve your overall practices?
3: Yeah, it's more of the latter. There isn't a specific program, although we are seeing certifications come out with more of their own improver programs. So ASC just recently came out with the ASC Improver Program, which provides two tracks. One is if a farm is looking to get certification. So you can go into the program and get ASC certified. The other avenue that they provide is uh, improver to better practice. So for producers who may be like actually quite far away from achieving certification, it still provides them the framework uh, that they could follow to achieve better or improve their practices over time that may not actually get them the certification. So it's not a defined program per se. There are different models, um, which I think is actually a really important component to improvement projects, is that there isn't one defined model. Because really, I think where improvement projects sit in the broad scheme of the sustainable seafood movement is to try and fill two gaps. One is between um, where current practice is and trying to achieve certification for those who want to. So there's a number of producers out there who are actually just really far away from being able to get certified. Their practices are, are too far away from that benchmark. And so improver programs are there to support them to kind of close that gap. Um, the other piece in aquaculture that we often see is certification is fantastic. It's one tool in our toolbox. It's a little bit unique in aquaculture because we certify individual farms um, if you think about fishery certification, we, we certify the fishery. So we certify the, the shared natural resource. In aquaculture, that's not what we do with certification. We, we certify the individual farm mm-hmm. and see if they're achieving best practice for their individual operations. What aquaculture improvement projects also allow for is to push beyond just farm level best practice and start to look at uh, the impact of aquaculture across a whole area and get more coordination among farms to reduce their cumulative impact. I'd love to hear about some examples of apes that you
2: or SFP have been a part of over the last few years, or maybe you're working on something right now that you're really excited about.
3: Yeah, Uh, apes have evolved over time. So the first aquaculture improvement project that SFP was involved in was actually all the way back in 2010, which was uh, with Vietnamese Pangasius. We've had an evolution of of improvement projects since. Uh, One particular project that I can point to that is is pretty interesting at the moment is a joint project with ASC. So as I mentioned, they just developed their improver program that has two tracks. Um, And we're working with them in East Java with a group of farmers to try and get that group of farmers to get to better practices, mostly around coordinated disease management, and improved water quality uh both input and output of water quality and so it it requires a lot of coordination amongst small-scale producers um and we're using the um, uh, ASC improver model to kind of measure and track progress over time
0: so what are some of the like specific things that you'll see in it like this is always so kind of confusing to me because i i spent so much time in the world of BAP where like everything is listed out and these are the things that you need to hit. And these are, you know, uh, it's really finite and specific. And this is much more like kind of broad and and depends on the necessities of the actual farm. Right. So uh, what are some of the things that are generally addressed in FIPS? That's part of question one. That's part one of the question, I guess. And part two is Apes. Yeah, not FIPS. Sorry. (laughs) Good Uh, That's going to happen a lot, I'm sure especially when my mind is is getting ahead of myself. And then part two of the question is, can a farm claim in some sense that they are involved in an ape or like, you know, part of this program, they are implementing an aquaculture improver program on their farm? Is there some way that they can like kind of officially claim that to help them either with marketing or, you know, selling into the marketplace or working towards certification, something like that? Is there an official way that they can do that?
3: Yeah. So... There isn't necessarily an official way that they can do that. And again, it depends. So the ASC improver program is maybe like the the most further along in that journey of being able to actually provide some sort of assurance through the supply chain um, directly that that particular farm or that group of farmers is working on that specific project. What we tend to think about in terms of improver programs or projects is Really, the important part of an APE is about building collaboration, confidence, and trust through the supply chain. So there's different ways that you can do that. Um, but from our perspective, really the best way to do that is, in, is to ensure that there's public reporting on the goals and the objectives and the, the achievements of that APE in a time-bound and transparent manner. And so what we developed is the APE directory, um, which uh, I think in the fifth conversation it came up that there was a a fishery progress. Um, So we have developed kind of an equivalent to that for aquaculture, which is called apedirectory.com, which lists all the active apes out in the world. Uh, There are 10 of them at the moment, so not a huge number, but it's pretty good. Um, And that's a platform that is publicly available, free of charge, and an improvement project can go on there. They can upload the details of their project, who's involved, which stakeholders, what their work plan is, Their needs assessment. So there's four things that we kind of consider critical component information for an improvement project, an agriculture improvement project. Those are the needs, uh, sorry, the stakeholder mapping. So who's involved in the project, the needs assessment or the scope of the needs assessment. So what are the issues that are addressing or what are the issues that are facing that particular farm or that group of farms? What is their work plan? How do they uh, aim to address those challenges and which ones are they trying to address? and then public reporting on those uh, on their work plan. And so the APE directory provides one avenue uh, where farms or groups of farms that are working through improvement project can go and list these things. And then the marketplace can go and see publicly what is being reported and if it's something that they wish to support. There have been other kind of one-offs. Um, the Asian Seafood... Improvement Collaborative, ASIC, is another example that has really tried to create more of a storied version of improvement projects and really define kind of the market uh, sell, for lack of a better word. Uh, So creating a bit more of a QR code through the supply chain and and really storying the improvement project process. Um, So there are different levels of assurance and traceability, depending on what the market is demanding, really. Um, is what it comes down to is how much of that verification and and transparency does somebody need in order to feel confident and trusting in the supply chain that they're buying from.
0: And that directory, is that voluntary? That's like, correct. So do you think there's a lot more apes out there that are kind of like just doing it just to get better and not really looking for that recognition and to to be that transparent about it?
3: Yeah, I think that there are a number of different projects that exist. And there's uh diversity of ways that companies are trying to address this gap between either the demand for certified product that hasn't yet been filled. Um, there are a number of species. So the amount of certified product in the global supply chain is actually relatively small. Um, when we talk about farmed seafood, uh, some of the recent numbers show that less than 5% of global farm seafood is actually certified if we exclude seaweeds. Um, Obviously, that's highest for salmon, which gets us at about 67% of global production is certified, but shrimp, it's about 13% of global production is certified and tilapia and pigasius is less than 7%. And so we know that in many of these commodities, the demand for certified production is greater than what is currently available. And so we are seeing folks who are trying to fill that gap by investing in their supply chains in improvement projects, whether formal or not. Um, The ape directory is at one avenue that you can try and formalize that and provide a little bit of light, uh, especially to the far end of the supply chain. So your consumers who might be asking questions um, or want to dig into some of the details, they can have some assurance that there's actual work being completed on the ground.
0: Okay, so what is, it's more more kind of specifically, what is uh, SFP's role in this, do you mostly provide guidelines? Do you help organize people to get started? Do you help them kind of hold their hand in a way uh, throughout the process? What is your role in the entire kind of implementation of an ape at a, at a farm?
3: That's a good question. Our role has really evolved over the years. As I said, we've been involved in this space for mm-hmm. since 2010, uh, a little bit before that even. Um, and so, our role has when we first started was really on, on implementation. So both getting stakeholders together as well as delivering on improvement projects. Um, whereas now we focus more on bringing stakeholders together and initiating projects, whereas we don't do so much of the implementation of that specific project. Um, and we do more of the monitoring of progress uh, through the APE directory. Um, and then again, really that stakeholder engagement. So. We do this uh, through a few ways through the supply chain. One is directly with our retail partners where uh, the majority of our retail partners have actually recognized agriculture improvement projects as one of the avenues in their sustainable seafood commitments uh, that would actually meet their, their targets and their requirements. Um, so we work with partners to identify where an aquaculture improvement project may help to fill that gap, for example, if there's uh, less certified product than what they actually need. Uh, how they might be able to start an improvement project themselves, and we help them through that process. Um, the other way that we do it is working with the middle of the supply chain. Uh, we have, uh, in particular, the Asian Farm Shrimp Supply Chain Roundtable, which is a group of uh, middle of the supply chain uh, partners, mostly importers, who work in a pre competitive format to identify where they can work together to improve practices on the ground uh, in a specific geography through improvement projects. Um, and then uh, we also uh, support other organizations who do the de- 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 de delivery of implementation projects um, who are working in the field.
1: Do you mostly see smaller scale producers that are going through this process? And i, I was just curious because uh, I wonder. I mean, some of it's probably regional, right? Like, what are some of the challenges that come in specific regions? Whether it's water quality that really needs to focus on, you know, improving in order for better yield of said products. I just wonder if the larger scale operations have overcome a lot of these issues and if you're seeing most of the producers that are going through apes just being a smaller scale.
3: Yeah, I think definitely the majority of of the projects tend to focus on smaller scale producers and coordination of management across multiple producers. Sometimes that might involve one large scale producer in the region uh, working with smaller producers who are surrounding them. Yes, yeah, um, it really depends on the scope of the project. So, with an individual farm or a group of farms that are trying to improve practice to get to BAP certification, then typically they're smaller scale producers. Um, but if you're talking about an improvement project, for example, that is trying to address coordinated disease management or habitat conservation or restoration mm-hmm. across a landscape, then you need more than just your small scale producers to buy in. Um, you actually also mm-hmm. probably need your processors who are in that region to get all of the farms that they're sourcing from. Um, so it can really vary. Um, and that's why I think the diversity of aquaculture improvement projects is both a challenge, definitely from a market marketing perspective, but it's also really important because there's so much variability and there's so much improvement that needs to happen that we need to have that flexibility to allow for both. And that's okay.
1: I, I kind of figured you would answer that way, but I, I'm <laughs> glad that you... Uh... You spelled it out because I think some of our listeners may have wanted to know that. So that's great.
3: Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, And there are like another example that I haven't uh, touched on yet, but Seafood Watch has their partnership assurance model uh, is another one that kind of fits into this category of culture improvement projects. Um, And they have been working with some of the much larger scale producers. For example, in Chile, uh, the farm salmon industry to reduce antibiotic use um, Mm -hmm. is one really good example of a, a much larger scale project that is working with some of the bigger players in this industry um, realistically and it goes back to some of the stats that i shared about certified product um, there's just more value in salmon and so those folks are also larger players but there's more money uh, per pound to go around to actually improve practices so we see higher certification rates we see higher interest from that industry to be able to invest more in improvement, whereas the margins on things like shrimp and tilapia are really just very thin. Um, yep. So it can be harder sell to invest, even though it might make sense from either an environmental perspective, a social perspective or a long term uh, financial perspective. The the immediate short term pain is often uh, a hard one to overcome.
2: I really like what you said earlier about those three kind of pillars, which are collaboration, competence, and trust. And I'm interested in how you, if you even measure those things, or if those are just like common themes that you've seen throughout the projects, especially the element of trust, because I think that that is the crux of apes is that if you're working on an ape, then you're hopefully going to improve, which will build your trust in the marketplace and in the supply chain. So I'm just curious how how you even measure trust or if you do that.
3: We don't directly measure trust. This is actually something that I was, when well, I was thinking about our forthcoming conversation for this podcast, and I was thinking about kind of the crux of apes, like this is what it boiled down to in my mind was really building trust through the supply chain. And again, that's really variable, both depending on the supply chain that you're working in and how far away you get further down the supply chain. So like the trust of a consumer and what they need to feel confident in what they're buying is actually really different from the retailer who is mostly wants to build trust, but actually really wants to mitigate risk, reputational risk. And so, um, We don't measure it directly in our projects, but I think it is a really interesting thing that I have been mulling over. And I know a lot of folks who have been working in this space have been mulling over as we start to talk about the value of these projects, because as I said, they've been around for over a decade and similar with fishery improvement projects, similar with certification, we're not seeing the direct dollar value trickle down to the producers very often. The value for improvement, the value for certification often isn't there in a direct monetary way. Um, there's other ways to get buy-in. There's the top-down heavy markets approach of like, you have to, otherwise we won't buy from you. Yeah, there I was going to say, what are,
0: what are the incentives then? <laughs>
3: yeah. And then so then there's the, we will maybe not pay you more, but we will, we will guarantee that we will buy from you for a longer period of time, which is, which is a huge value as well. And then I do think that there's a big component here around reputational risk and how building trust in the supply chain, actually having confidence in who you're buying from and knowing that they are doing their best to improve their practices. And your level of confidence is going to shift depending on who you are and what you actually need to meet that threshold. Do I actually need that to be audited every six months? Do I need it to be audited every year? That's really going to vary depending on your exposure, like your, your reputational risk depends on the, uh, the exposure of that risk. And so there's a balance here. And this is why the improvement process is often so different, because it will vary if you are a Walmart who's engaging in that process versus a small scale retailer who is really competent and defined in those relationships.
0: So what do we think I mean, in your mind you you live in this world every day, right? like this is kind of what you've been looking at for years now, so what based on your experiences, what do you think is kind of like the future for apes? I don't know if I want to ask that question yet, but because i I also was curious uh how they how the use of apes differ uh between different species. so you know what, let's do that one first when we're looking at different species, obviously, there's some species that are much bigger uh worldwide in the industry and the market than others. Are you seeing specific species that tend to utilize uh, the benefits of apes more than others? And then we can get into the other question. <laughs>
3: yeah. Uh, it's a great question. Definitely shrimp has been the priority focus area for improvement projects that, yeah. um, to date. Uh, I think largely because there is that gap between demand for improved or certified product and the actual availability of certified mm-hmm. product Um And it is just such a significant commodity in North America and Europe. Um, And there isn't really an easy answer. So that's where we've seen the model applied the most. Uh, In the early days, there was a lot of interest around Pangasius and tilapia, but that has has waned over the years. Um, And we've seen, as I mentioned, a few highlight examples in the salmon industry. Um, There's the Global Salmon Initiative, which I'm sure you folks and, and your listeners are probably familiar with. In many ways, I would consider that an improvement project. It is a group of producers, a producer organization who is very clearly trying to improve practices in a measurable way, and they report out on it publicly. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are elements to that cooperative nature that are aligned with the improvement project model, Um, but definitely we have seen it most readily applied in the shrimp industry. And there are examples of projects in, in Thailand, Indonesia, vietnam india
0: cool so then now back to my first previous question (laughs) what do we think is kind of uh the future going to look like around the whole apes process
1: can i can i add to that sean because i was going to ask you much earlier in the conversation you can't no go for it (laughs) can it be a partner question (laughs) uh two-part yeah two-parter i she doesn't know that we each get
0: points for every question that we you know, yeah, Sean, I've been, been like running, I've time. been down here, like tallying
1: up here. Yeah. I have a long ways to go to catch up to Sean's questions. So I get more points for this one. No, uh, <laughs> I would, I was just curious. Yeah. Like what, where do you see the future of these really, what are, what do these improvement projects look like? Are Is there going to be more partnerships with ASC, any sort of certification type um, process where producers are really trying to justify like the value proposition. And I know we've talked about this throughout this episode, right? Is it, here's the value proposition by making it known publicly that you're doing this, you are now going to have an avenue to sell your product in. I mean, I, I also would guess that some producers, if they're looking to expand, it would make perfect sense, right? I think there's the whole, the value proposition not only is more options to sell your product, but some of these improvement projects are improving your processes, which eventually would, uh, well, potentially improve your your yield, healthier fish or crustaceans, whatever it is that you're um, raising. So, yeah, that was a long question, but really, it all comes down to what do you see as the future?
3: <laughs> yeah, there's lots of different angles, uh, and I think a lot of hope for where improvement projects can go. To me, after working in this space for a long time and seeing where the opportunities are and where the challenges have been, I think there will definitely be increased uh, alignment with some of the certifications. As I said, ASC just in the past year and a bit uh, came out with their improver program, uh, and we have some of the first pilot projects going on. Uh, Full disclosure, which maybe I should have said at the top of the podcast, I am on the BAP Standards Oversight Committee. Uh, And I know BAP has dabbled in this space as their IBAP program on and off for a number of years, and I think uh, are looking at it more uh, uh, seriously in this coming year to try and flesh out what that project will look like. Um, So I think no doubt uh, there will be uh, some increased alignment with some of the certification standards that are out there. I think if I put on my like visionary high hopes for improvement project space, it goes back to this concept of really just getting more buy-in into it as a process to develop trust through the supply chain. Um, and there are and getting everybody comfortable with the fact that there might be multiple ways of doing that. and so It might be BAP, which will work for your market. It might be ASC. It might be something else. Um, If you're looking at trying to actually address cumulative impacts across a whole area, uh, then it's going to be a broader zonal-based management uh, aquaculture improvement project. And you can work really closely with your supply chain to define what is it that you need to feel comfortable in investing, whether that's directly or just purchasing from that product. So I actually see apes as really a very useful mechanism to drive conversation through the supply chain, to build relationship and trust is really the end of the day, what we're trying to get at.
2: And that's also what we keep hearing like across the industry is that these days, the biggest thing right now is building relationships and having consumers and also retailers and producers like have this symbiotic relationship where everyone feels like they know each other in a way and that they can trust each other. So I think I totally agree with you. Like that is the future and it makes sense that that's how it fits into apes too.
3: And I don't wanna get too esoteric in this conversation. I could talk about theory for a long time, but I think this is also a real pendulum swing from the last decade of really intense globalization and and capitalism, where it's like people are actually, we know with the growth of millennials and, and the consumer base that they have, that they're interested in where their food comes from. They want to hear the stories. And so I think the need to build back relationship and supply chain is actually being driven by the market, by the end consumers. Um, in this day and age, as kind of a pushback from that commodification that we saw through the '90s and early 2000s.
0: I, I want to harken back to something that you mentioned earlier when we were talking about incentives.
3: Sean's not convinced.
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> this is this is uh, back back uh, a okay. few minutes ago when we were talking about the incentives to improve yeah. your practices, right? Just kind of overall. And you, we mentioned how you know we we all know from our world that the kind of the the way that it tends to happen is that it comes from basically like you know the retailers in the marketplace telling them that they need to do this right they need to get certification or they need to improve whatever and uh it it almost when you look at it from an outsider's point of view it almost feels like they're getting these producers are getting bullied into doing their job better right and i'm wondering if there's any kind of if 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 anyone has any ideas on like a better way to incentivize these farmers especially the small-scale farmers that don't necessarily have the resources to make a lot of bigger improvements what you know what what are some other ways that like we could incentivize that to kind of get people to implement these better practices do you have any and have you ever thoroughly really thought about that
3: I've thought about it a lot, yeah, um, I and imagine. it actually goes back to the <laughs> original approach that sFB took in this space, which was actually really producer centric mm-hmm. so although we worked with market based approaches, it was really about trying to coordinate producers and in particular small scale producers um, to better coordinate their management practices, and then market that up to the supply chain to find an avenue into the market for them to sell um, and provide value for the work that they would do on the ground. There's actually a lot of interest from producers for many reasons uh, why they would want to improve practices, as you said, as we talked about earlier, whether it's that they have more yield, more efficient yield, higher quality product. Uh, they, a lot of the work that we did in the early days was around disease management, Uh, coordinated disease management so that you don't actually just lose your entire stock all of a sudden because your neighbor has a disease outbreak, you have a way to actually create a bit of a fire break between farms. Um, So there are lots of value propositions. I think if I think back to where we started the conversation and where we are today, one of the other main drivers that I see emerging uh, for all of us, and this goes across the entire supply chain is the need to take immediate action on climate change, both from a mitigative factor as well as um, from an adaptation factor. And so if we think about small-scale producers and their resiliency to climate change, uh, there is a huge need for investment in better management practices, uh, for improvement uh, at scale on habitat restoration and protection. uh, And that matters up the supply chain. Because if they want to have product in a consistent way in 10 years' time, you want to make sure that your producer communities are as resilient to the changing climate as possible. And so I think that that will be a real motivator for all levels of the supply chain when we know just how drastic the implications of of a changing climate will be on these supply chains.
0: Yeah. And I think that's something that's much more approachable in the aquaculture community than in some other industries, right? I think uh, it's something that Everyone is going to be able to kind of get behind and, and and rally around to try and figure out and it's it's already happening um, but I think that's something that's unique within the aquaculture industry is that there's kind of a general overall agreement about that that being basically one of one of if not the largest challenge that uh, that we're is looming right now right
3: yeah and it's also i think one of and this goes back to the you had a Episode uh, I think it was a few weeks ago on on the consumer marketing campaigns for for seafood more generally we know how important it is to shift diets towards lower trophic uh, level proteins or lower impact proteins and we know that aquaculture really has a huge opportunity to fill that space um, it has grown immensely over the last few decades uh, but. And there's opportunity for, for further growth, but it really does have to be thoughtful in the way that that happens and make sure that it's resilient to uh, the changing climate.
1: So if I was interested, at, say I was I was a producer and I was interested in getting involved with an ape, how would I go about doing that?
3: You would email, uh, you'd hop onto the apedirectory.com and email us through that website uh, and we can help direct you uh, as a first point of point to start uh, as I said we at SFP aren't actively involved in implementing improvement projects uh, but we kind of play the networker and the coordinator uh, across the supply chain so we can either direct you to existing projects that we know of in your region um, we can direct you to other implementers so as I said the agency food improver collaborative ASC uh, hopefully BAP has a more robust program that comes on board really soon um, Seafood Watch, there's a number of them. And so we kind of become a, a one-stop sh- one shop for folks. Uh, and that's uh, an easy way to get started.
1: And we will link to all the relevant websites and everything you just talked about in the show notes.
3: Yeah, yeah. we do also on the, I should mention on the APE directory website, there is a full toolkit. So if you're just interested on in learning more on what an improvement project what the steps are, uh, what you need. There's a a full toolkit that includes templates for a work plan, for your needs assessment, uh, for how you would report out. Uh, So there's lots of resources on that website.
0: Awesome. That's fantastic. I think that's great. And uh, I don't want to keep you for too long, but uh, Jenna, while we have you here, is there anything else, you know, when you're on, while you have the platform, you got the mic, People are listening to you right now. Is there anything else that you want to say that you want to get out there that you really think people need to hear?
3: It's a high stress question. (laughs) This is my job, you know? I have the power. (laughs) I don't think so. I just would really urge people to consider improvement projects as an opportunity to build conversation through the supply chain. And it can sometimes feel daunting, can sometimes feel confusing. I know we've heard that often in the messaging about certifications and aquaculture more broadly, but really... Um, I think it's just important for folks to know that it is about building relationship and it starts with conversation. And so uh, the agriculture improvement project process is one way to do that. And it can be a really robust way to do that. Um, And I think I also need to mention that we will be in Boston. So I don't know if this uh, particular episode will be out before then, but SFP uh, and myself will be in Boston. So if you have any particular questions, uh, we will both have a booth on the floor um, and uh, you can find us there. My email address is jenna.stoner at sustainablefish.org. And I'm always happy to chat about these very exciting topics.
1: Fantastic. Well, we'll we hope to see you in person because we will be in Boston as well. Yeah. Oh, we'll great. Be there. Can't wait to
3: see you.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely stop by. And uh, I guess I don't need to ask my final question of how people can get in contact with you. Um, But we'll, like we said, uh, like Justin said before, we'll put all of the links that she mentioned to all these uh, resources in the show notes. And then if you want to email Jenna directly, you can do that as well. Uh, And before I say thank you to Jenna for joining us, I want to give a shout out and a thank you to um, Charlotte Maiden, who is, you don't hear her voice, but she has been lurking in the background of a couple episodes and she's been a rock star kind of doing the behind the scenes uh, organization for a couple of these episodes that we've done with SFP, and uh, I want to make sure that we give her a shout out and a thank you because she's had to deal with my scatter brain, you know, email scheduling and stuff, and she's done a great job, and I appreciate that. So, Charlotte,
3: can you jump in and remind us what our booth number is in Boston? Yes, uh, thank you for the very sweet shout out,
0: Sean. Um, my pleasure, and yes, we will be at uh, Seafood Expo North America at booth one zero seven three. So, come say hi to SFP. We'll have a ton of experts there. Fantastic. We'll be there. Perfect. Jenna, thank you so much for joining us and telling us all about APES. It was valuable. I think a lot of people, um, I think we cleared up a lot of questions that I'm sure people had and didn't even realize that they had, but I think this was a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming on and joining us today.
3: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks again so much for having me.
0: Thank you. We'll talk thank to you, you soon. folks that was our conversation with jenna stoner from sustainable fisheries partnership i hope you enjoyed it and i hope you learned something and i hope you will make sure that you are subscribed to the aquademia podcast wherever you listen so you can get every new episode automatically downloaded onto your device as soon as it becomes available i actually
2: noticed that apple changed it and it's called follow instead of subscribe now
0: that's because they implemented a, a paid subscription model on Apple. So oh, if you're subscribed on sense. Apple, it means that you're paying. It's kind of like a Patreon type deal.
2: Well, we we don't ask you to pay for the podcast, so you can follow us.
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe you could tweak it. Anyways, thanks for that interruption, Eddie. <laughs> I was like... <gasps> You threw off our like auto play. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, I was. I, I had it on auto autopilot here.
2: <laughs> Again, keeping you on your toes.
1: Yeah, I like it a lot. It's Friday. Don't do that. I'm going to keep this in. By the way, <laughs> uh, well, in that case, follow us on Twitter at Aquademia Pod. If you want to contact the podcast for any reason, fill out our online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. If you like
2: what you're listening to, then leave us a rating or review on whichever podcast platform is your favorite.
0: That's right. And if you like what we do here and you want to be more involved with some of the work that we do at Global Seafood Alliance, you may want to consider becoming a member. All the information about our membership program can be found at globalseafood.org slash membership. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time.
1: Ciao.
2: Bye.